It's been an encouragement to me this morning to sing with y'all. Two of the songs that we have sung this morning so far were absolutely my favorite hymns growing up. How Great Thou Art, and Great Is Thy Faithfulness. Man, I could just sing those all day long, back then and today. They were standard hymns in my church growing up. On a normal Sunday, my church had an organ, a choir, and a congregation. That's, that's how we worshiped the Lord. Sadly, all three of those very often fell short of the kind of praise that I regularly am bathed in at Park Hills Baptist Church. Instead, when, when I was at my church growing up, a large part of the congregation didn't really sing. They kind of more just spoke the words of the hymn at a normal conversational volume. Have you ever seen people do this? And that was if they said anything, others just didn't sing at all. In my experience at other churches afterwards, I found the same thing often to be true. And so I feel particularly blessed to be here at this church with you singing and praising the Lord with joy week in and week out. Well, this morning I want to consider with you the words and the meaning of Psalm 145. I want to talk about praise. This psalm has significant implications for the way that we think and the way that we worship, both in our singing here together this morning, but also about how we praise the Lord in our daily lives more generally. And I want to submit for your consideration that of all the things that we do on a regular basis, praise to God is one of the most important. Praise is something that you and I will be doing a billion years from now. Does that sound exciting to you? That a billion years from now we'll be praising the Lord together? Or does that sound a little boring to you? When I was young at that church, um, I can say for sure uh, that I was taught, like everyone else, that good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, and the conception of heaven that many people had at my church and just where I lived in general, the people that I knew and interacted with, the conception of heaven in that church was that we would spend eternity in heaven sitting on clouds and playing harps, right? I mean, literally, right? This is, this is people who didn't really know the gospel, and they thought literal clouds and literal harps. And then this conception of heaven was only further solidified when we saw cartoons, right? Which, it's the same thing. When you die, you, you have a harp, you go up, you sit on a cloud. But the sad thing about this, the really sad thing, was that several of the kids that I knew and a number of the adults that I heard on the topic as well were clear, very clear about the fact 
that if that's what they were going to do forever in heaven, they thought they might want to reconsider whether it was worth it. And maybe hell wasn't that bad of an option after all. They thought, sitting on a cloud playing a harp forever? This morning I want to suggest to you and to myself that if we think praising God forever sounds boring or tiresome or even worse, agonizing, I suspect the problem is less with heaven and more with our hearts. How we think about God. So this morning we'll be reading Psalm 145, a Davidic psalm of praise. You can find it in the Black Pew Bible in front of you. It's going to be on page 524. And the psalms as a book have an incredible importance for praise. The psalms considered together have more uses of the word praise than the entire rest of the scripture combined. And Psalm 145 is the first psalm of a series of six psalms of praise of David that all focus on praising the Lord. And these six psalms together use the word praise more than the entire New Testament combined. It's safe to say that they give a healthy emphasis to praise. Psalm 145 wants to emphatically exhort us to praise the Lord in many different ways and for many reasons, and to do so forever. So as we read this psalm together, listen to David's praise of the Lord and consider how it encourages us to praise the Lord as well. By the way, if any of you do not have a a Bible, we desperately would like you to take one of these Black Pew Bibles, take it home, keep it, read it, and hear about all the wonderful things the Lord does in it so that you might praise him the way you ought. Let's read Psalm 145 together. A song song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man 
your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, we come to you this morning to worship you as you call us, to praise you, to proclaim your excellencies. Lord, you are absolutely worthy of all of our adoration for your majestic glory, your perfect character, your awesome deeds. We ask that you would enlighten the minds of everyone here to know you more fully, to see your holiness, your unfailing compassion, and your steadfast love. We ask that you would take these thoughts, this truth, on which we are going to meditate this morning, and let it become within us a powerful desire to praise you, both individually and together. Give us a heart like David's that sees praise as a joy and a privilege and help us unite together with one another in true heartfelt praise in anticipation of the ages to come that we will spend with you when you bring all things to their full and permanent completion. Thank you, Lord, that you do all this in us and through us to the praise of your glorious grace in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I think about this psalm, a question uh, popped up in my head. I'm curious. Uh, you don't have to answer. But I'm wondering how many of us have ever tried to write poetry. I did try to write some poetry a few times. I think they forced us in high school. I had to write some poetry. I think later on, uh, when I met a wonderful woman, I think I may have written some poetry for her. Um... And the things that I learned about poetry from these experiences uh, is that poetry is hard. Poetry is really hard. It can be complicated just getting the right words, but also finding the right poetic structure, building something beautiful. Well, in Psalm 145, David has written something beautiful. 
not only in its contemplation of God, but even in the poetic conventions of word choice, grammar, and structure. And I think it's probably ill-advised to begin a sermon on poetic structure and devices, but I do a lot of ill-advised things. This morning will be no different. It's not the most exciting way to approach God's word, and it may feel like you're back in English class. If if it does, I apologize. That would be awful for me. I, I really didn't like English class. But David is a master poet, and we ought to appreciate what he did rightly in order to praise God more fully ourselves. The first thing you should know about Psalm 145 is that it's, it's a really complicated poem. It's called an acrostic. An acrostic is written in such a way that when David begins every verse, he uses in series all of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Imagine writing a poem that requires you to start your first sentence with an A, your second sentence with a B, third with a C, and so on down to Z. Now, not only would you have a very hard time with X, I suspect, but it would also take a good deal of effort and thought to pull it all together into a coherent, beautiful structure. That's exactly what David has done. The structure that David uses is of alternating affirmations on the one hand of praise, things like, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. And on the other hand, the reasons he gives for that praise. He says, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. He does it over and over in this alternating structure. But David's poetic skill goes beyond poetic structure. When this psalm discusses David, God's character or the nature of God's kingdom, all the verbs used are in the present tense. I'm sorry, I'm a Latin teacher. This is what I do. All the verbs are in the present tense when talking about God and God's kingdom because they are true always. In verses 13 and 14, David says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. These things are always true, and David wants you to know it. And so he makes all of these truths present tense. But then when he speaks about how we, as God's people, respond to God, throughout the entire psalm, we switch into the future tense. In verse 10, David says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. In other words, the universal, eternal truths about who God is, now and always, and what he does, are the basis for our eternal praise forever. And throughout this psalm, David focuses on two specific big reasons for praise. First, David focuses on who God is, things like his greatness, his character, or his kindness. But David also praises God for what he does, like giving food to all creatures or upholding the weak. And so these are the first two points of our sermon this morning two fundamental responses that David himself has toward the Lord and therefore that we should have toward the Lord in our praise. 
first exhortation of the psalm is praise the Lord for his character, for who he is. This psalm wants us to praise the Lord for his character. In the first two verses of the psalm, David resolves himself, saying, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day, I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. David is resolved to praise God every day, and that's simple but difficult and really important. David recognizes how good and right it is to praise God, and he says he's going to do it. He uses three different verbs of praising in those two sentences. I'm not sure if you caught it. In this context, he says, I will extol you, or praise greatly, right? I will extol you, I will bless you, and I will praise you. These all mean the same thing, roughly. To extol something is to praise it greatly. And for blessing, usually blessing is used a different way. Usually blessing is something that God does to men by giving them gracious help or gifts or kindness. But when we do it to God, when we bless his name, we give him no great gift. We offer him no help or any kindness. We cannot possibly offer him anything. Instead, blessing God means declaring how blessed he is in himself, by himself. And why does David bless the Lord in these three verses? He blesses the Lord for his character. Verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. It is limitless. In other words, we could explore God's greatness all day, every day, forever and ever, and not reach the end of it. Therefore, nothing less than eternal praise is sufficient and worthy of the Lord. David continues his contemplation of God's character in verse 5, saying, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Do you meditate on God's splendor and majesty? Do you think about how he is the king of all kings who exist now or ever have existed or will exist? how he dwells in unapproachable light, that he himself is light and in him there is no darkness at all. These are fruitful thoughts for meditation. David commits to meditating on the Lord's nature and character because he wants to praise the Lord more fully and more rightly. We all likewise ought to strive to do the same thing, I encourage each of us to meditate on the Lord's character. But David recognizes that mere meditation is not sufficient. Or only responding to God in our private praise by ourselves is not worthy of the Lord. He continues in verse 6, affirming his desire not only to praise God for his greatness, but to declare it to other people. 
And in the very next verse, he affirms that the generation of believers will pour forth the fame of God's abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of his righteousness. According to one commentator, the word used to describe the pouring forth of the fame of God's abundant goodness is something like turning on a faucet and letting the water just come gushing out. You take that faucet, try to stick your finger in it, stop the water from coming out, it just makes it go everywhere. In the same way, it should be impossible to keep God's saints from pouring forth God's praises forever. In Luke 19, when the Pharisees wanted Jesus to stop his disciples from praising God and shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus responds to the Pharisees and says, If my disciples were forced to be silent, then the very rocks all around would pick up where they left off and begin praising the Lord. The praise of the Lord cannot be stopped because we serve an amazing God. I encourage us all to consider this truth later as we will have the chance to sing to the Lord in response to his word. Let your singing be the overflow of a heart that is filled with love and joy and gratitude to God. Continuing on in verses 8 and 9, we see a wonderful expression of God's praiseworthy character. David writes, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. That is God's praiseworthy character. The expression comes from Moses' mouth back into Exodus 34 when the new tablets of the covenant are made and Moses is praising the Lord for being slow to anger and abounding in love. David picks it up and affirms the same thing and many other prophets, Jonah, Joel, Nehemiah, they repeat this very same phrase is one of the most wonderful reasons we have for praising the Lord. And then David goes on to praise the glory and splendor of God's kingdom in verses 11 to 13, as well as his kindness and faithfulness. So as we consider Psalm 145, consider God's character and resolve with one another to praise him for it. But David's praise in this psalm wasn't merely over the Lord's character. While David focuses on God's character in the first half of the psalm, he shifts his emphasis in verse 14 to praise the Lord for his amazing works. So that's our second emphasis this morning. If our first emphasis is that we are to praise the Lord for his character, our second with David is that we are to praise the Lord for his works. His works are awesome, so praise the Lord for his works. 
David begins his praise of the works actually earlier, before verse 14 and verse 4, saying, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. He goes on in verse 5 to talk about the Lord's wondrous works and his awesome deeds in verse 6. In speaking of God's mighty acts, his wondrous works, and his awesome deeds in these three verses, 4, 5, and 6, David wants to get the reader to pay attention to the nature of what God does. The nature of what God does is this. God's works are amazing. They are awesome. They are astounding. They should inspire awe and wonder in everyone who looks at them. Just as he did for God's character in these verses, now David also affirms that he will meditate on God's wondrous works and speak of the might of his awesome deeds. God's activity in the world is amazing if we would only consider it. And of course, after we have meditated on these wondrous works, like David, we are to declare God's works to others. And this is true even in the fact that David reinforces this truth in the fact that he wrote a psalm. David was committed to declaring God's works to generations that he couldn't understand. Have you ever met someone like that? Someone who is eager to speak about the works of the Lord? Eager to talk about what the Lord is doing in their lives or in the lives of the people they know? I do. And it makes me want to be like them. Or better yet, do you take time on your own to meditate on God's works? what he's done in your life? Have you, have you combed through your past and written down the great things that the Lord has done for you? I guarantee you, you will praise the Lord for what he's done. Praising God is not something that comes naturally to sinners. That's, it's not what we want to do. We would rather find pleasure or comfort. We'd rather focus on self or ambition. Don't feel that because you have to sit and think with a paper and a pen about what God has done in your life that it's a lost cause. For sinners, praising God takes intentionality, thoughtfulness, contemplation, and courage. Learn to be intentional about reflecting on God's activity on your behalf. But the culmination of David's praise of the works of the Lord is in the second half of the psalm. It comes in a long list of the Lord's dealings with mankind in verses 14 to 20. And these verses in which David is praising God's works are broken up into two halves, two main themes. Each section begins with a statement of the Lord's character in verses 13b and in 17, and then follows immediately with God's praise in two distinct sections. The first is found in verses 14 to 16. Here David praises God for his kindness to all creation, every single living thing. 
for his general provision of help to all things. David said, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. God provides help and support to all creatures who are weighed down by difficulty. God provides food that we all need to survive, and he satisfies our desires even above what we need. And he does this for everyone. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminds us that God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust because God is a giver of blessings to all creatures, even his enemies. But God reserves a special blessing for those who fear him. That's the second half of this long list. In 18 through 20, David speaks of this particular blessing. He says, The Lord is near (laughs) to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. to this particular group of people that love the Lord, that fear Him, and that call upon Him in their distress, David says, God is near. And what does this nearness mean? David clarifies by saying that to those who love Him and fear Him, who cry out, God brings salvation. This is the message of the gospel. It is absolutely true. God did it in the time of Moses when the Israelites were oppressed, and they cried out to him, and he heard them, and he saved them. He did it in the time of Esther, when the entire people of God was going to be killed. They cried out to him and fasted. He heard them and saved them. He does it over and over and over and over again throughout history, because he is faithful. And among all these great salvations... God's greatest act of salvation was uniquely accomplished in Jesus Christ. God saw the wickedness of man and it offended him. How we were hopelessly burdened by our sins without any ability whatsoever to raise ourselves up. He heard our cry and he sent Christ to live to die, to take the punishment of sin on our behalf from us in his death on the cross and to give us new life in Jesus Christ. He calls all of his enemies everywhere to turn from sin to him in faith and obedience. To all who call on him in truth, He saves them. The amazing reality of God's salvation is that the only reason any of us love, trust, or obey Him is because, as David has already said, 
He is a giver of blessing to all creatures, even His enemies. And so, we are called to praise the God of wondrous works for what He has done for us. David wants us to praise Him for His character and for His works on our behalf. But David has a third emphasis that runs all the way through the psalm. His final emphasis and exhortation in Psalm 145 to us this morning is praise the Lord together. Praise the Lord together. All of us. Here, gathered as God's people. We see it first in verse 4. David says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. This isn't merely individual praise. This is not you in your car singing to the Lord. That's wonderful. It's not enough. We're not merely meditating on the truths, although David tells us to meditate on the truths of God. It's not enough. Nor again is it merely declarative. Tell people. Absolutely, God wants us to tell people about his works and his character. It's not enough. God has a higher pinnacle of praise for his people. Instead, David paints a picture of each generation taking the praises of God and passing them on to the next one. In fact, the reason any of us are Christians at all is because some previous generation spoke God's praises to you. And now you, in response, are a link in the living chain of God's praises throughout the centuries and forever. This is what David calls us to. This is what the Lord calls us to. David makes the same point again in verses 10 to 12. He says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. This is the ultimate reality. This is the ultimate end of our praise. Speaking of God's glory together with the saints forever and ever. If you, like the kids and the adults that I mentioned before, uh, don't want to sit and play the harp on a cloud forever, I think I could probably understand that if that's what your conception of heaven is. But the picture of the saints of God, blessing God forever and ever, is so much more than that. It is a joyous and an eager response made by those who have not merely come to know the glories of the Lord in a superficial way, but deeply and profoundly. And as a result, are so enthralled by this God that we want and eagerly desire to praise Him. We, we could pray, praise Him for a million years and not get tired if we really know Him. And the only reason we don't is because we don't yet know him 
as we will. If you're a Christian this morning, this is one of your highest callings, to praise the Lord forever and ever, and to do so with God's people. If it doesn't sound good yet, that's okay. You're not done. He's not done with you. But if you're not a Christian this morning, you should know that you're praising something else. Something else has won your heart and your affections, and you are blinded to the reality that God is far greater and better than anything else you could love. What do you spend your time meditating on? Or talking about with others? Or singing about? Your own answer to these questions will tell you what you worship. But you should know this. Nothing that you love is as lovely as God. And to give your praise to those things instead is an insult to the creator of the universe. Verse 20 speaks very clearly about the ultimate outcome of those who reject the praise of God. It says, The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. So take these words to heart. Give up the praise and the pursuit of money, of comfort, of prestige, and all those things that draw your heart away from the Lord. This psalm started and ended with eternity. The first two verses proclaimed, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. And they finish with the last verse of this psalm, David confirming, My mouth will speak of the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. David couldn't be clearer. When you know the Lord, you have a responsibility and really a joy to praise God for his character, which is perfect. To praise him for his wondrous, amazing, awesome works throughout history, especially his work in Jesus Christ. And to join with all the saints who bless him together forever in what is going to be the best song we ever sang. The praise of the Lord forever. We can start now. Let's do it. Please pray with me. Oh Lord God, what can we say? in the face of such awesome and wonderful truths. Our words are insufficient. Maybe that's why we'll be praising forever. We thank you this morning for giving us a glimpse of who you are. And we pray that your spirit would be acting in us to love you more, and to grow in eagerness at praising you forever. We know that you can only do this in us by changing us.
from the sinful creatures we were into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we ask you to complete that change, to bring it to pass, not because we deserved it, but because you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And so we ask this morning, with full confidence in your goodness, in the name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.